Hey, everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, I am thrilled to be talking to Jennifer Say, the former global brand manager at Levi Strauss & Company. Before becoming president, Jennifer held a variety of leadership positions, and this is so cool. She began in 1999 at the company as an entry-level marketing assistant and rose to become the global brand manager, I'm sorry, global brand president in 2020. She was the first woman to hold this post. As a child, Jen was an accomplished gymnast. She won the U.S. National Gymnastics Championship in 1986, less than one year after suffering a devastating injury in the 1985 World Championships. In her 2008 memoir, Chalked Up, she she detailed her triumphs and struggles within the world of competitive gymnastics. And in 2020, Jen won an Emmy for producing Athlete A, an acclaimed documentary on Netflix looking at the abusive behavior in the Olympic sports. Say has also received numerous business awards, including Billboard Magazine's Top 25 Most Powerful People in Music and Fashion. In both 2019 and 2020, she was named one of Forbes' most influential CMOs. Now, when COVID arrived, Say spoke out about school closures and other restrictions aimed at kids. Her call to prioritize the well-being of children went against the mainstream narrative. And Levi Strauss, sadly, the company that she had been with for 28 years, told her to stay quiet. In early 2022, again, after 28 years in the corporate world and with that company, Jennifer Say decided to leave it all behind and walk away on her own terms in order to be free to speak her mind. Jen, I'm thrilled to have you on. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Well, look, I, you know, I have to, we have a lot of, we have a lot of stuff to cover and I want to get to that, but I have to tell you just on a personal note, I'm trying really hard not to fangirl you right now because as a young girl, I was a super fan of gymnastics and the young women who competed in gymnastics. So what I'd really like to do is gossip about Tracy Talavera and Nadia Comaneci and Mary Lou Retton, oh. who I'm sure you either com- you know competed against or knew of them, but it's very thrilling for me to talk to a gymnast. So welcome to the oh. show. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, they um, were a couple years before me, but of course I knew them both. And, and yeah. Tracy is actually a friend now, so I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you mention Tracy, Tracy. Um, in the list with those those folks. She's a Bay Area person, which I was for 30 years, and um, we would see each other on occasion, and she's a pretty amazing person. Okay, I'm not asking you to say hi to her for me, but if you don't, you know, if you happen to be talking about this podcast, because she actually, she was my favorite. I had a poster of her. I read her bio. She was mine, too. Oh, yeah. She was her. my favorite, too. Yeah, oh. she was my absolute favorite. So, for me, to then get to hang out with her as a grown-up. I was fangirling, too. She was always my favorite. She was such an original, and I don't know. She's a yeah. good person. She was great. Well, anyway, so a little bit of fangirling for Tracy Talavera. So um, <laughs> I, hope she, I hope she hears this. Um, let's dive right into sort of the parenting issues. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, and I do want to – and I'm sorry if you hear my dog. Stop. The mailman just came. The mailman comes every day. Might- the dog has to react. 
Yes. Nine will might as well. She's okay. She's a fierce protector. Uh, yes. 15 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, my da- dog's daily thrill of the mailman. We won't, we won't rob her of that. Okay. So, no. uh, you know, I want to talk to you about why you left Levi's. I want to you know, talk to you about your activism. But I think what I'd really like to get a sense of, first of all, is, you know, your parenting style and your experience as a parent. Um, you have four kids, correct? I do. And there's a, a wide range and I have sort of an unusual, I mean, you know, spread, I guess. So I have a 21-year-old who just graduated college over the weekend. Oh. I have a 19-year-old who's finishing up his freshman year in college. And then I have a 7-year-old and a 5-year-old. The 7-year-old finishing first grade and then the 5-year-old oh. will enter kindergarten. So a big spread, very unusual. I, you know, sadly got divorced in between those two. And I, sure. I met a man who didn't oh. have children. I assumed I'd meet someone that had children and we'd have a blended family. That was not my fate. Um, and so I had two more, which was really cool. And the fourth one was my first and only girl, which oh. wasn't the goal, but was kind of fun as a period at the end of the sentence to, to, to have a girl. Cause it's certainly a different parenting experience. So, yeah. um, you know, it's an unusual family situation. You know, I have, a, I was always a pretty relaxed parent, even with the older ones, but certainly, you know, when you have two young children and you have older ones that are doing well, you relax a little bit. You yeah. know, you go, you m- might not take every little hiccup right. as if it's, you know, the biggest deal in the world. You know, this is part of it. This is parenting. We'll get through this because you've been through those things. Um, so, yeah, I've been a pretty relaxed parent, which is not to say not a caring parent, but a relaxed parent. I guess you could put me in the free-range uh, yeah. parenting category as much as one can be in a city. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's funny because it's, it's uh, Lenore Skenazy, the, the sort of founder of the free-range kids movement, you know, she got famous off of letting, she dropped her son in the hat department. I think it was Macy's, might have been Bloomingdale's, I can't remember, and said, good luck finding your way home. And he had to go down to the, he was eight years old. He had to go down to the Amazing. metro, you know, buy a metro ticket. Of course, you know, this, this, this is what, you know, not in those, I mean, in those days, there wasn't really a such thing as viral. This was before uh, social yeah. media, but, you know, she went on Good Morning America. She went on Howard Stern show. She went on, you know, she was doing this big media yeah. blitz because people were so appalled that she had allowed <laughs> her son to do this. So it, it's funny. I always find urban parents to be a little bit more courageous on this front because they're just, I don't know, tougher See, maybe. I'm, I'm not so sure. I agree with that. Now, I raised my two oldest children in San Francisco. Okay. And I, now, I, I find it to be like the home of the helicopter parent, honestly. And my <laughs> sort of... And, and and it's, to me, I guess, kind of, I get it. Like, do you let your kids wander around in the city by themselves? Do you leave them at the playground? Like, you can't just let, there is no, you know, you don't have a right. yard. So you don't have that opportunity to say, leave your kids in the yard for two hours to kind of imagine and play and all of these things. So they're always hovering. Right. But I felt from, you know, the time my kids were very young, my older boys, they needed to be left to their own devices a little bit. They needed to learn to negotiate relationships with other children without me intervening. Yeah. Um, they needed to be bored and use their imaginations to come up with activities. Um, I did not want to be a human television set that was constantly entertaining them. I felt like if I did that, they would never be able to entertain themselves and use their imagination. So 
maybe it's lazy parenting. I no. don't know that it was lazy parenting with intention. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I had to take them to the playground, right? I was in the city. I didn't have um, a yard. But right. at the playground, if there was a kerfuffle with another child, I hung back. Yep. And I let them sort it themselves. Um, if my child, who's 19, who was always very introverted, wanted to sit in the corner at the playground and not play with other kids. I wasn't constantly trying to integrate him. I was just letting him do his thing. And I think, you know, my feeling is as a parent, you kind of have two major jobs is to sort of get out of the way and let them be who they're going to be. Let them become who they are going to become. And number two, make sure they know that they are loved all the time. And if you can do those two things, you're going to screw other stuff up. It's inevitable. A good friend of mine always says we screw our kids up just by being who we are. Yeah. Just accept that. Yeah. Um, but do those two things, and I think I think it can go okay. That's yeah. not to say without hiccups and challenges and all of these things, but I was just never a fan of excessive intervention. And if one of my kids came home and said, you know, that they got a bad grade or got in trouble in school, I said, well, you know, you have to go talk to the teacher. I'm not That's going right. in. That's you right. either accept this grade, and if you think it's unfair, then you have to go in and talk to the teacher. Otherwise, that's your grade. How how do you feel? So you have this this enormous spread in kids. Have you? So you you know you have you have your um your, your two younger ones, and you're then presented with okay, I'm I'm sort of going through this parenting the, these steps again. Did you? Was there any sort of um point? Uh, where maybe it was enrolling them in school, maybe it was the play- playground dynamic, maybe it was you know the 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 relationship with the pediatrician, maybe it was the content of the school uh, of the lessons they were learning that you thought this is very different than when I went through it 15 years ago. Was there anything you noticed oh, about that's that? That's interesting. That's interesting. I will say, as relaxed as I was the first time, I think the biggest difference is my attitude. So mm-hmm. with the first two, I, you know, I was a working mom. I went back to work very quickly. There wasn't much maternity leave at the time. I felt very guilty all the time that I wasn't doing a good enough job at work because I was racing home to be with the kids. And then I wasn't doing enough, a good enough job with my kids because I had to travel for work and they were, you know, left home without me. And I I felt just terror. I felt guilty all the time. I didn't nurse long enough. It was always what I didn't do. Um, and so I always tried to make up for that. Like I did everything at night and everything on the weekends, even though my husband at the time was the, the stay at home parent. I yeah. did the doctors and I did, I just mm. felt like if I didn't do that, I was terrified. They wouldn't like know who I was. I oh. it's so silly now that I think about it. Um, and, you know, there was one time I, I had to take a trip for work. It was supposed to be a week, but we had all of these, you know, mishaps. And I ended up being gone three weeks in another country. And I just cried wow. the entire time. I literally thought my children would not remember me <laughs> right. when I got home, which is, which is, you know, insane. It's right. Chris, but I just felt guilty constantly mm. that I just wasn't doing good enough. You know, it's that bad mommy uh, yeah. thing. And the, the mommy was, and you have all these women who were staying home and touting that as the only way to do it. And you uh. had women who were working, and that was the only way to do it. Get a right. nanny and don't feel guilty. And I was like, I just, ah, I'm not succeeding in any of this. Yeah. Um, but then with the second two, I let all that go. 
Mm-hmm. I let it go. My my husband is also the stay at home dad. This seems to be I have a knack for finding men who are great at home with children, <laughs> and I let him. Do, I just let him do it. Yeah. I don't worry about you know we split it on the weekends. I don't do everything. Yeah. He takes them to the doctor and makes all the appointments. He so I just released myself from that guilt, and I think part of that is what I was saying in the beginning. I spent all those years feeling guilty. My kids grew up. They love me. It's, you know, yes, we have disagreements, but we're good. It didn't matter that I was away for three weeks in 2004, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I let go of all that. And I think your kids feel that, you know, yeah. when you're more yeah. relaxed that way. So that's the, that's the main thing that for me is different, but you ask a good question. I guess I would say, I think the like intensity of the parenting is even more so Yeah. in terms of like, got to get them good grades, got to get them into the right school, got to, and I just never participated in that. And I still don't. My kids went to the public school that was down the street and that was, you know, yeah, it was, you know, it's interesting because I'm Gen X. I suspect you're Gen X as well. And you like, I think Gen X are well known to be like, kind of chill about things and we were definitely like latchkey kids and our parents like I always I always say that my parents were like yeah you're you're okay like in limited quantities like my parents had a very like they would go they they, like they loved they loved to be together that was like they love that's nice that's it, it really is and it's interesting how like I think back on my childhood and they definitely were like goodbye, go outside. I don't want to see you for 12 hours. And, um, and so, yeah. I, you know, I had a very like, and it's interesting that Gen X kids have grown up to be the most intensely because I, you know, I covered the free range. I've, I've had moments where, you know, th- this has come up, you know, like yeah, I had a, a law enforcement guy get mad at me because I left the kids in the car for five minutes when I went in to get a rotisserie chicken. And he was like, how could you? All the windows were down. They were old enough to go into the yeah. store. They were literally old enough to walk in the store and look for me. And so I, I became like intensely interested in this issue. And I, one thing that is so fascinating to me is that, you know, this generation of Gen Xers have become, you know, not all of them, obviously, um, but intensely um, helicopter in, in many ways. Yeah. And, you you know, you mentioned seeing that, you know, in, in San Francisco. Um, yeah. it, it really is interesting to me generationally how I think that's changing now, but um, a little yeah. bit, partly, thank goodness for the pushback of people like Lenore Skenazy. And I think good examples of parents like you who, you know, are like, hey, let, you know, relax a little. Um, I I think it's a great, it's a good point. And that is my experience, what you described largely with Gen X parents. I should specify, you know, these are sort of well-heeled Gen X parents. Sure, sure. Um, sure. You know, I think parents that are struggling a bit more don't have time to worry about these things. That's exactly right. In the same way, like, you know, should I in- introduce carrots or bananas first? I mean, I remember oh. when my little, my bigs, we call them the bigs and the little, were, were babies, you know, and you're getting ready to introduce food and all of the moms, it drove me crazy, we just talk for hours about, you know, if I introduce bananas, they may never eat vegetables, so we don't want to ever introduce fruit because it's just sugar. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> who cares? Just make oh, sure yeah. they eat enough. I just, had no interest in that conversation. Yeah. It all seems so stupid to me. And my father is a pediatrician. He recently oh. retired. But he would tell me he had a large immigrant population in his um, in his practice. And he would say, you know, 
the, the vast array of ways that children are parented around the world, what they eat, when they eat it, it it's so different. Right. It's just proof that none of that matters. Just right, do right. whatever and stop worrying yeah, about it. Yeah, that is best. But, that is, yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the Gen X parents, perhaps what you described is a response to feeling maybe kind of neglected yeah. as children. So they don't want to inflict that on their yeah. children, you know, yeah, being home right. alone, being latchkey kids. But I look back and I used to ride my bike around the neighborhood alone at five. And I was a little scared at first, but then it gave me, I mean, I distinctly remember it. This was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I was riding around, and I thought I got a little lost, but I found my way home. I mean, that would be unthinkable now. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think it, I think it built my confidence. I, I, and there's this notion that the world is such a dangerous place, but that's all. We don't, we don't need to get into that. That is all. No, I know. You yeah. False, false as well. And I, I think. I also played in the yard for hours by myself oh, yeah. or with my brother. And that doesn't even happen now. And oh. honestly, with my younger kids, I worry about it a little because they, you know, the screens, especially in the last oh. few years, we told them no screens, no screens. And then we told them screen, screen, screen. And I see it. You know, I see the compulsion. And I, it's harder and harder to get them to go just play in their room or just oh, it play is. outside. I loved what you said yeah. earlier about my kids need to be bored. It is a critical thing that kids have to experience. Boredom creates creativity. It creates thoughtfulness. It creates uh, imagination. Um, and and it, it, it makes them able to withstand, as they get older, boredom, which is still occurs <laughs> when you're an adult. It's Boredom is kind of healthy. And so... That's really interesting too. I have also um, dealt with it, but I have to back off and laugh at what you said about the vegetables. I too am so bored by these <laughs> conversations with parents, and I'll, and I'll make I, I I think you'll like my response. I had this conversation with a very very concerned parent, a very good friend of mine. I hope she doesn't listen because she'll know this, um, and she'll say, you know, I read recently, and you know, she's got like, you know, she's. All, it's all organic. It's all like that. She spends an enormous amount yeah. of uh, food on the uh, money on the right kind of food. And she said, you know, Julie, yeah. I read this article because her daughter was kind of picky, a picky eater. And she said, I read this yeah. article. You're, you're supposed to introduce things, you know, 10 times. And then like by the 11th, they might try. And it, you know, she's going on and on about all this. And, and I said, yeah, have you tried yelling at her? Right. And I, of course yeah. I was kidding. Right. But I, I, was, I you know, my mother would have killed me if I had that. If you think about 10 yeah. servings. 10 servings of peas or carrots or whatever is like, I can't afford that. I can't afford that kind of food waste. So I would, I would yeah. like, there's no way that, and I, and I get it. I would, I, I probably would just like let them, you know, not eat the vegetable. But anyway, the point is, is yeah. that my mother would have the, yelled at me I until mean, I ate the vegetable. Yeah. Well, I've always also said it's okay to yell at your children. One of the <laughs> other pet peeves I had in San Francisco in my, you know, early parenting days was the parents always, you know, they always told you to say, you know, when your kid was having a tantrum, use your words very calmly, like get on their level and get on your knees and say, use your words. And what did you, what you wanted to do was like scream and yell and say, get in the goddamn car. We're leaving now. Um, and sometimes you did because you became so frustrated and the other parents would look at you like you were this like horrible monster. But you know what? I actually think a child needs to know that if you push someone to their limits, they're going to get angry. Now, they're not going to hit you. We don't want to model that behavior. But 
why do they have to believe that everyone is always going to treat them with kid gloves? Because that's not going to be the case in the world. And I think, you know, one of the things I think that's so problematic about the style of parenting that you're describing is that a child grows up thinking they are the center of everyone's world and that everyone will, you know, bend to their needs and their wills and and their will and that their needs are the most important because if we censor, to use the language of today, the child's needs in the family above anyone else's, why wouldn't they think that? And I think that is sending your child into the world as an adult ill-equipped to handle it because if they go to work, guess what? They are not going to be the center of anyone's concerns in terms of their needs. But honestly, you do see this in the world today, in the, in the work world. They believe that they should be, and they believe that their concerns and their everything matters the most. That it's, it's selfish. It is, yeah. But let me, but and so I, I think you do raise a selfish child that, yes. that really believes they deserve to be the center of everyone's attention. And, and, and and potentially, and, poten- and potentially facing a lifetime of loneliness or bad marriages or bad relationships with people because nobody's going to tolerate that. So, you know, when no. you, when you, when you, when you, ha- you have to think of this as like, when we say like, let's raise productive, you know, civilian, you know, uh, you know, pe- people who can, you know, who, who can live a, a normal life and have a, a happy life. Um, you know, if you raise a selfish child, it's not just that they're, they're a burden to you because they're always demanding things. They actually are, you know, could, could really have problems um, with social interactions. And that's, that's terrible to set yeah. a child up to, to be frankly lonely or unsatisfied for life with whoever yeah. partner they stay with. So that's, that's really that, important. I think that's right. I think the other thing I have observed, sorry, I know you want to move on to another topic is if everything that, you know, your child does is like family level crisis, like what can I feed this child or whatever the thing is, how are they going to just, they're going to be incapable of making any decisions. Yeah. Incapable. Because everything is going to seem like life or death. Everything is going to seem like this major crossroads. And you know what? Some things you just decide and maybe it was the wrong decision and you reverse course. And it just, everything can't be so momentous. And I think having the family's attention be so child-centric. Now, perhaps in the past it wasn't enough, but to have it be just exclusively child-centric, I think just creates a generation of probably jerks that (laughs) might end up being unhappy and are incapable of leaving their mother's basement to, to, to make any sorts of decisions at all. So, and you know, I will say in some ways, my childhood was very unusual. I was an elite gymnast. Yes. And in some ways, I was the center of the family's attention. And that's a huge burden for a child as well. And in some ways, my needs were completely neglected. So it was this weird yeah. um, uh, contradiction. But I carried the burden of their expectations of me, you know, yes. as a winning elite athlete. And that's too much. It all mattered too much. It was too central to my family's existence. And I have made the decision as a parent, which is maybe my kids do activities, but I am not going to construct our entire family existence around, you know, my seven-year-old's soccer match. Yes, exactly. Like it's just not going to happen. This is, this is such a great attitude to have. And, and I want to just pivot a little bit over to be, and I, it's so funny. I have like 15 questions here and I'm never going to get to them because this is so fascinating. Okay. But, but I, um, but I want to talk, I talked to you about how, you know, what, what about raising kids seem different. 
How you mentioned very early on that you know there wasn't sort of these generous maternity leave um, uh, you know um, programs uh, when yeah. you had your first ch- children. The second time around, what had changed, uh, co- both culturally and like a- yeah. in terms of corporate policy? Yeah. Well, if I remember the first time, I think you got six weeks, which for anyone that has a child, I mean, and I know some people who are working hourly wage jobs who are going sure. back after two weeks, which is just yeah. insane. But I think we got six weeks, and I think that was through disability. I'm having to remember 21 years ago. And then I took another few that were unpaid. But at a certain point, and I was in a very early stage of my career, I was only 31. I think I was an assistant marketing manager. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford to take more than that unpaid. You were guaranteed a certain number of days that they would hold your job, but you didn't get paid at all. So I ended up going back, I think, at eight weeks. Now, the most horrifying part of going back <laughs> was, so I was still nursing when I went back. Yeah. So I was going to do the whole pumping thing, but there were no, um, there, there was a place provided. Yeah. There was no facility. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so I would sit in, I worked at Levi's at the time. I would sit in what we call the sample closet, which is where you sort of stored all the products for photo shoots and stuff. I would like sit on a pile of jeans with my back to the door, which didn't lock oh and God. try to pump with like tears with the noise. down my face. Meow, 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 meow. With that horrible noise and people trying to get in. So this was not conducive to, I mean, it was so stressful. Nothing would come out. I would sit there hysterical because it made me feel like a horrible parent. My oh. you know, husband was going to have to give these children formula, which was available widely. <laughs> um, and yeah. it, it, it was awful. So by, and, and I ended up giving that up pretty quickly because it was just such an untenable right. uh, situation. With the second two, there was a much more comprehensive leave policy, but I was much more senior and I felt wrongly or rightly that I needed to be available and go back quickly. I didn't mind it. I mean, I started working from home just a few, it was probably setting a bad example. I realized that, but I started working from home probably four weeks. And I mean, I don't think I ever stopped answering emails. Um, but there was a much more generous leave policy. And I know that, you know, some people on my team who were taking leave, I think five months was pretty standard. I don't, I, I can't recall the law in California, but um, it's pretty substantial. And the Levi's policy was generous. And there were lovely facilities when you came back to pump with refrigerators and cordoned off little rooms and doors that locked and all of these things. And so that experience was much more, pleasant though still stressful interesting the second time yeah so so this is a similar question but it's a little different so you start you had you were with Levi Strauss for 28 years is that correct 22 and a half close to 23 yeah okay it would be 23 oh, this June oh, I'm sorry. okay okay 23 still my god 23 years right long time I mean that's almost you know, your entire working career is with this one company so tell you started off in the marketing department I love this I love the story um in your bio how it's you know I was an entry-level position and then you write I me mean, a classic, classic mail room to court, you know, CEOs. I love it. So you have, so you have this long time at, so similar to what I asked you about the kid and raising kids, 
What have you noticed differently that's gotten different about entry-level people coming in? Have you noticed a difference in maybe the people that you worked with and then the people you were hiring um, when you were at that higher level, when you would meet these young kids or yeah. get young people coming in, what what struck you about the difference in kids today? Well, I, I think you know, when I started out, my attitude, which was probably exacerbated by my experience training in gymnastics, which can only be described as this sort of incredibly cruel and abusive and like yeah. culture where total obedience to the rules was what was required. You kept your mouth shut. You did what was asked of you. It didn't matter. Like I, I, that was my childhood. And so my attitude when I started working was I'll keep my head down. I'll do the work. Maybe one day somebody might notice and I might get to go from assistant account manager to manager, but like you didn't advocate. for yourself. And I think that was, I think that was sort of generally the attitude definitely amongst women. But it was probably like more so for me because of my, my training. I just, I didn't even realize until 10 or 15 years into my career that I needed to advocate for myself, that I needed to say, Hey, I did these things. I'm ready for the next level that I needed to say the minute I got in a new job, you know what I want next? I want this. And here's how I'm going to show you that I'm going to be capable of getting that. I had no idea. I was passed over time and time again for people less qualified because I just didn't advocate myself right. for myself. I sat in the corner with my head down doing work and no one noticed yeah. or they noticed and they were grateful to have me do that. But why pay me more and promote me if I wasn't saying anything? Right. Right. So that was intensely true for me. Mm. And I was lucky enough about 10 years into my career at Levi's to have a female mentor who sort of said, you know, you're going to need to advocate for yourself. That's just how this works. Others are doing it. And I learned to do it in my own way. I find that young people that come in today, and I think they get a little bit of a bad rap, and I've had some amazing Gen Z's on my team while I was at Levi's, and, but there is an attitude that I deserve an audience with the most senior people, you need to listen to what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you how it's done. There is, there is some of that, but I will tell you where I think they get a bad rap. I mean, I have had some of the smartest, hardest working, so they may have this attitude that they deserve to be heard, but the ones that I have had on my team have been just incredibly hardworking. In addition to that, deliver a great work product. They're not complaining about, you know, their cubicle. I mean, they, all the things you hear, they want a corner office in the, you know, next week after they start. I, I did not experience that. I found them to be lovely, hardworking people that expected their voices to be heard in a way that is jarring for somebody like me <laughs> that came from such a different place. But in a way, I sort of respect it. Yeah. And in a way, I want to sometimes be like, okay, I hear you now. Not yet. <laughs> you don't, you don't have enough knowledge and insight yet. Um, yeah, but I, I you know, I, I had incredible young people and I found them energetic and inspiring and they saw the world differently. And so I don't want right. to talk them, but they, they do come in with a swagger that you need to listen to me. Well, you're more than welcome to, to knock them on this podcast. I just want you to feel comfortable with it, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They, I have no, had, I, I, I do, I do. And I would maybe point out that you bring an interesting perspective, that there's all this stuff 
that you don't know yet. So maybe well, listen to some of the more experienced people too. I, yeah. Instead of insulting them, I, I'm more inclined to say, to explain To guide them. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. it's interesting. You know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, generational t- parenting trends. And, and here you have, you know, Gen Xers, you know, this is their kids. And there's this very sort of entitled attitude. But when you look at sort of the helicoptering and the very, like, you know, careful and concerned about their needs, I mean, it does... If that may be a pro- that may be part of the reason um, for I agree this, with you. this shift, and and so you know I I don't I but I do think I, I agree with you. And some there are times where I'm so impressed with a young girl um, or yeah. you know a Gen Z who kind of speaks up. I really love the idea. Yeah. Also, you know, we talk about the wage gap, and and then but if you look at the data, um, and this this yeah. is me, this is me in a nutshell. My first job, this is me. They're like, we will pay you X amount of dollars. I'm like, oh, you're so nice. Oh my gosh, you're gonna pay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. that, oh, that's so nice of you. Fine, right? Meanwhile, yeah. my now husband was like, yeah. well, I, I, I think I'm deserving of. I here's and he would like research yeah. it. He would know like, well, yeah. the going right, and you know, whereas yeah. I'm thinking they're doing me a favor, you know. Yeah. So I pay you at all. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I, I'm working on a, a book now, a, a memoir. I was just writing about my first job as you. <laughs> As you just play out, and I was so excited I got a job in the advertising agency. I didn't really want to work in the ad industry, but I needed to have a job. Right. And I remember I got $16,000 a year, and I was just like, you know, I thought it was the most amazing thing. And then I got my first check, and I don't know why I was so astonished, because I've worked retail in high school and other things. Yeah. It's not like I hadn't worked before, but it was like, it was nothing. And I oh, yeah. basically oh, yeah. had to eat, like, free hot dogs at happy hours, you know, at the bars in San Francisco to feed myself because um, I was never going to ask my parents for help. That just was not yeah. going to be, that was never going to happen. Um, and it took me about a year to realize $16,000 in San Francisco, even back in 1994, was not going to cut it. And I needed a better oh. start to say something, you know. Yeah, well, I I, made, I, like I, to... I beat you by $1,000. My first job was $17,000. Okay. I looked at that paycheck Thank and I was you. like, who is FICA and who told him he could take my yeah. money, right? Like, what? What is this? I had no concept of how, and of course I was living in Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, yeah. it was tough. So I, I totally get it. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think I, one of the, I go was going to just add one thing because I think everything you say about, you know, young people, all of that I, I agree with. You know, this moment in the last few years that really struck me was the college admission scandal, which I followed mm-hmm. obsessively. Um, and there was actually somebody I used to work with that was arrested in that whole thing. Wow. And, and, you know, as I sat and thought about it, and I mean, I read everything you could read. It, I read just the whole everything. I was yeah. obsessed with it. Because it was so unsurprising in a sense. And if you think about it, and I, you know, I had this experience in my waning days at Levi's as a sort of one of my colleagues talking about how difficult her life was right now because her children were trying to get into this fancy uh, private middle school and they had tutors and people helping with essays. And, and I was like, I wanted to laugh at her and say, why are you, she gets in or she doesn't. She writes the essay, yeah. she doesn't get it. I mean, and then you yeah. it, but so to me, that college admission scandal, it's like if we as, you know, well-heeled parents, do all of this for our kids. We get them the tutor. The tutor writes the essay or heavily edits it. It's like 
such a tiny baby step to then step across the line in the way that it happens in, because you've already done all the work for them. So yeah. what is it if you get someone to actually take the test for them? And how do we not see this? I mean, when my kids applied for college, I said, pick your school, write your essays. If you want me to read them, I will, but I'm not asking to. Yeah. And I'll give you the, you know, when you're ready to send everything in, we'll sit and we'll, uh, you know, I'll pay I'll help for you. them. Yeah. I'll, I'll pay for the postage. Yeah. Submit I'll an application. Pay, of but course. Yeah. But you, I mean, you know, as well as I do, I don't know how old your children are, but this whole college thing, it's like kids apply to 20, oh. 30, 40 schools. The parents have tutors to write the essay. It's like, it's how are they going to survive in college, let alone a first job when you do all the work for them? Oh, exactly. You know, and it's interesting how many parents are willing to write those essays. I know several people who are willing, and I, and I say them that that's kind of cheating, right? And they're like, yeah, everyone does it. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird what? culture of acceptance of cheating to get your child. And again, I think it's a lot of Christmas newsletter bragging, desperate to, yeah. you know, and it's so funny because when I talk to people and I say, oh, well, we're looking at community colleges. My kids are, um, they're 11 through 15 and I've got three boys. And so, it, you know, I, I, you know, I say, oh, we're looking, we're looking at community. I, I've had people in my, people who I've talked to about, actually, I can hear them gasp. Like they're shocked. Yeah. And of course, you know, you you know, we talk about like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm obviously talking to other parents who are, are, you know, know, doing fine economically. And so this is a different, you know, group of people who they're very much on this, you know, child must get into the best four year college. It's incredibly stressful. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's nice to be where I am because I'm really not stressed about things. And, you know, my husband and I, you know, both went to state schools and we always laugh when people say we, we, we had to pull our kids out of public school and put them in private because of all the COVID shenanigans. Yeah. And, uh, and it was funny cause we met with the head, one of the headmasters and he was like telling us all the, Demo- uh, telling us all the great data on how many of their kids go to Princeton and Harvard. And we start, we looked at each other and we're like, <laughs> and I said, how about a Virginia yeah. tech track? Do you have one of those? Yeah. Right. And, yeah, um, yeah. and you could tell he immediately yeah. relaxed cause he was like, thank God they're not crazy parents. But, um, yeah. but it is, it is becoming, um, it, it, and I think it's debilitating for parents. It makes it, it makes parenting not fun at that stage. The last years of your child's, you know, being at home and sort of, and it, it, it has to be intensely unpleasant, uh, yeah. to, uh, to deal with that stress. Um, I, yeah, like- I think it's the inevitable result of if you make your child the center of everything, <laughs> then they, they're a, a reflection of your own worth in a sense. And so if you put all this time and energy into, parenting and helicopter parenting and you know and then your child isn't exceptional that's humiliating and so you kind of keep that going but it's it's a no-win game for both the parent and the child so anyway well I listen we're coming towards the end and and I know to those listening I sort of said oh we're going to talk about um what happened to you at at Levi and we're going to talk about the COVID and the activism and the amazing activism you've done on behalf of all parents and as someone who you know, I, I have somewhat of a voice. I can, I can get my voice out there as well. But you, what you have done to advocate for kids, um, and, and for parents, um, and, and for at least listening to parents, people should listen to parents and their concerns are very, very rational concerns about some of the COVID restrictions. I, I want to thank you, Jennifer, because, um, you, you really made an impact. And I think so many voiceless parents out there and, and look, as, 
no, nobody on the school board cares what I have to say in my local community. Nobody cares what yeah. I have to say, you know, and it, it is, it's so, yeah. it was a depressing period, but I do want to just for the listeners listening in, Jennifer is going to hang up with us and then she's going to actually get on a, a live a sort of on, on screen interview with Jenny Gentles, who's a fellow at IWF and also does work for the independent women's network. And they're going to cover a lot of what Jennifer did in the COVID restriction space and her activism and how that cost her, uh, her, her job. She voluntarily left Le- Levi's and, 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 but, but they're going to get into that and, and, and she'll be able to tell the story there. So I, I don't want people to feel like they're missing out. It'll just be, ex- this, this interview will continue with my colleague, uh, Jenny Gentles. Um, so stay tuned for that. We'll, we'll link them both. So Jennifer, any closing thoughts here, any words of wisdom for parents and any, um, you know, I, 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 I'll let you answer that one. Then I have one more question. No, I think, you know, I'm sticking with my two principles for parenting, (laughs) get out of the way and let them become who they're meant to be and just make sure they know they're always loved. And if you could do those two things, I think, you know, it won't be without mishaps from time to time, but I think, you know, you'll have a successful parent-child relationship. You know what, I do have one more. One thing I think that we forget when we have very young children is that, the primary relationship you will have with your child is when they are an adult that will last much longer. So all you are doing really is setting the groundwork for that. I mean, obviously for them to also be a successful human being, but as far as the dynamic in the relationship, it is ideally about, you know, having this relationship when your child is an adult that you can still talk to each other and you still like each other and you want to spend time together and, it's not about carrots and bananas and it's not about doing their homework. It's about sort of building a sort of trusting, respectful mm. relationship. And so all the toing and froing when they're really little, it's just, it doesn't matter that much as long as they know they're loved. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's I try beautiful. to keep that end game. I try to keep that end game in mind and it's easier because I have two adult children and I know that that's the, the primary relationship we will have. Well, I think, you know, I will tell you one last thing. You know, I'm, I'm at a phase now. I said my kids are, you know, um, between 11 and, and, uh, and 15. And they're, and especially I look at the 15 year old who I swear is so huge now. He looks like a full grown adult. And Man. I'm, and yes, and I'm starting to think about, oh my gosh, they're, they're, they're kind of getting close to being launched, right? And then I think about my life and oh gosh. And so I, it's funny. I'm thinking, oh, how nice that you have these little, littles, right? To still, yeah. you know, go, go. I, it's a, it's wonderful for you to sort of do it again. Cause I, so I think it's, it's lovely. And I think your wisdom here is, is really, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing you said. It makes me actually, as someone who is kind of like bringing her hands about that, it's, it's it's lovely to hear because there's a whole new fun adventure coming with my adult children. That's right. Um, I think that's right. And don't, you know, mourn. I mean, you can sort of say, oh, people are so sad. Their kid goes off to kindergarten. Like, it's all yeah. in the service of them becoming adults and the person they're meant to be. And you can have this beautiful, lasting relationship with them. You're not losing them. Yeah. They're becoming the person they're supposed to be. And so I try not to 
be sad about those milestones, but just celebrate them. Now, yep. I did cry a lot at the college graduation. <laughs> I admit that, so I'm not always successful. You're human. You're human. I am, I'm human, yeah. Tell us, tell us one last question. Tell us where people can follow you or find your writing or your, if you're on social media, give us a couple links or, or websites or, um, you know, your Twitter yeah. account, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so my Twitter is just my name, and that's probably where I'm most active, which is probably a really dumb thing to, to be. Uh, so Jennifer Say, just one word, Say is S-E-Y. I do, um, I do like Instagram. That's mostly reserved for family stuff, and I'm Jen Say SF, even though I don't live in SF anymore. Um, those are the main places. I am working on a book, as I as I said, sort of a memoir part two. I did write one in 2008 yeah. about my time in gymnastics, um, which, you know, you can get anywhere you buy books. And um, I'm making a documentary about the impact to kids and families of the long-term school closure. So right. I don't have a sub-stack or whatever for my writing. It could happen. It could yeah, happen yeah. one day. But for right now, I'm just putting my attention into the the book. I'm kind of old school that way. I like a book. Well, I love it. And I will be reading it. And maybe you would come back to do we do book events. Um, They are high. Oh, I love it. We would love to host you um, for a book event when that comes out. So keep us, um, keep us abreast of that. And I'm, I'm determined we are going to, at some point do a podcast dedicated to Tracy Talavera. So. Oh, that uh, sounds awesome. <laughs> I'd be happy to do, to talk about, um, the extreme intense helicopter parents in sport and all the harm that can cause. So if that you ever want to talk about that, I would. I actually, that's, well, we'll, we'll be in touch because I think that is a whole nother parenting style. Um, uh, the, the, the sports parent and certainly at a high level, an elite level like yours, that's got to be quite a story to tell. So we, we will definitely be in touch on that. And you are so fun to talk to. I feel like I really want to have cocktails and, and chat more because this has been a really, really fun conversation. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.